Steam, yeah, Steam is important because, you know, a lot of people are, are, are sticklers about STEM. It's all about, you know, the sciences, the engineering, the technology, and the mathematics. But what we're realizing is that those things are solving the how, right? For any challenge that somebody reaches, those are the methods of the actual how to solve the problem. The why comes in when you're incorporating the A. It's what makes it culturally relevant. It's something that becomes a motivator for our educational programs. You know, they are given this challenge and the A part is so strong, the arts part, the expression part becomes a motivator for them to then say, in order to accomplish this vision that I'm imagining, I need to learn these technical skills to get there. Welcome to the Artist Engineer Podcast. Join me, Tony Tran. And me, Bill Robertazzi. Along with our amazing guests, as we explore how people's inner artist and inner engineer present themselves in their technical careers, in the art that they create, and most importantly, in living creative lives. On this episode of the Artist Engineer Podcast, we're talking with Daisy Nodal and Tom Pupo, the founders of Moonlighter Fab Lab in Miami. Moonlighter Fab Lab is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to growing the maker movement by providing skill building opportunities, a shared workshop, and cutting edge technologies that empower makers to shape a better future. We'll discuss their focus on education programs, the difference between STEM and STEAM, and the community of makerspaces around the world. Tom and Daisy, welcome to the show. Really happy to have you here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having us. I met uh, or actually visited your space last November, um, just serendipitously uh, tagged along with a, a mutual friend who has a makerspace up in, in Flint, Michigan, Mike Wright, and got a, a brief tour. And it was actually the first makerspace I've ever been in. So it was actually pretty exciting and, and impressive. So I was kind of wowed. So, so I'm actually really excited to have this conversation and hear more about what you folks are doing and for our audience, learn a little bit about it. as. I've been talking to various people. I also realize people don't actually know what I'm talking about when I say we're going to have founders of a makerspace, and they're like, a what? So maybe that's a good place to start on how you define your space, because I've seen it described a couple ways. So yeah, our makerspace works just like a gym. Um, It's a membership that gives the community access to advanced um, equipment and technology to fabricate things like 3D printer, laser cutter, CNC, electronic, woodwork equipment. Um, So we have members that come in and work on different projects as well. We educate them how to use the equipment in our space. Very cool. That's kind of what I saw. Yeah, I had no idea what some of the equipment was when I was, uh, you were explaining it to me. So it was impressive. (laughs) Yeah, equipment usually when we have anyone walk in and they don't know what a makerspace is really, we identify each of the different um, sections of the makerspace because we have like our woodworking in one of the rooms and we have all electronic outside and then we have to go and define each and one of them. And then normally we show examples of each one. So it helps them understand what kind of equipment does what for their projects. Right. Like, so there'll be uh, like an actual sample product near the piece of equipment so that they understand what the output is of, of uh, the technology that they're seeing. Which of those pieces of equipment is the most popular these days? Mm. Probably the, the laser, laser cutter. cutter. <laughs> Believe it or not, the laser cutter has a lower barrier to entry than the 3D printers because um, 
you know, with the 3D printers, people start with that by downloading stuff off of Thingiverse or, you know, other online repositories. Whereas the laser cutter, a lot more people are familiar with things like Adobe Illustrator or other vector uh, drawing software. So converting something from 2D to 2D is a lot easier than actually designing full 3D. And, and usually the things that come out of a laser cutter look like a finished product already versus a 3D printer, which would require a little bit of post-processing to make it look like an actual object. So that's kind of interesting. The things that come out of these various pieces, what the people that are coming in there, are, are they prototyping? Are they making art? Are they, what are they trying to make? So we have a large range of people that come into our space. We have people that are artists. We have people that do software development. Um, we have people that work on electronics. And the great part of being in a um, makerspace is that all of these people are working in the same um, room. So in case you have a question or something, they can help each other out. And which is really cool because we've done some installations with science museums and we've actually, our background is in architecture. So we really didn't have the electronic and then with our members, we created this interactive piece for the Science Museum, which was really cool as yeah. well. So it allows you to do those things. Yeah, a lot, of the, a lot of the answers to your questions are usually outside of your own uh, expertise, right? So that's the beauty of a makerspace. You're, you're rubbing elbows with someone else who pretty much has the answer to the problem that you're, that you're working on. And that speaks a little bit to the community element of it, which I know you folks are, do quite a bit of work in the community because it's a very collaborative environment to start. I believe when, we're, when I'm kind of looking at your website and talking, you do quite a bit of education out of the space and in other programs. What we realized was it started as a membership-based space. And the same thing that you experienced, a lot of other people experienced. They walked into the space and they were really excited and wowed, but they were also equally intimidated by everything that they saw. And so very quickly we saw that education was going to be an extremely essential component. So easing people in to all these new technologies and showing them that it's actually pretty straightforward and practical in, in everyday use, even if you're not an expert. And there's tons of open source softwares now that are uh, free to use and they're, they're very, uh, have a great user interface. So pretty much anybody can pick it up if they really are interested in doing so. So we started with workshops to basically train people on the individual pieces of equipment. And that extended into you know, field trips and school programs where, you know, now we're doing K through 12 programs uh, in our space and at, you know, offsite. And then we even extended that now into a university program where we're working with college students to actually prototype public spaces in our community. So they're actually building, you know, kind of mock-up public spaces in the, in the university program. So yeah, it's, it's really running the gamut now from the early childhood education all the way up to the university level in our space, which is, again, it's exciting because we'll have a, a university student doing something and the kid that's working on a slightly more dumbed down version of what they're doing says, hey, that's what, what I'm working on. It's the same thing. I mean, it's at a different level, but I can see the path to where I'm going. And so that's really inspirational, both for you know, the university student and for the, for the younger, younger kids. So you hear quite a bit about the STEM education. We need more STEM students. And I was quite happy as, uh, as one of the co-hosts of the Artist Engineer podcast to see A added to it, STEAM. Yeah. So uh, STEAM students, I think maybe the first time I had actually seen it, and I said, well, that's cool. STEAM, yeah, STEAM is important because, you know, a lot of people are, are, are sticklers about STEM. It's all about, you know, the sciences, the engineering, the technology, the mathematics. 
But what we're realizing is that those things are solving the how, right? For any challenge that somebody reaches, those are the methods of the actual how to solve the problem. The why comes in when you're incorporating the A. It's what makes it culturally relevant. It's something that becomes a motivator for our educational programs. You know, they are given this challenge and the A part is so strong, the arts part, the expression part becomes a motivator for them to then say, in order to accomplish this vision that I'm imagining, I need to learn these technical skills to get there. And so that's, uh, you know, both for the final product professionally, it becomes something that goes beyond the function of what, what it is that it's solving. It, it's what makes it embedded in, in our society, in our culture. But also in the education space, it becomes the thing that, you know, makes you forget that you're working on a challenge or a problem and really makes you excited about learning the things that you need to learn in order to accomplish what you're trying to do. Can you give us an example of one of these um, whys you mentioned, community spaces and university programs, any other kind of challenges you're, you're giving your, uh, uh, your teams? So normally we give them problems, um, real life problems, and then they try to solve them. And we give them like, for example, we have our children program, we do architecture. And one of the one topics that we talk about is sustainable green um, cities, right? All the issues that we talk about in real life right but they're doing it in this creative way that they're forgetting about like logistical things right and they're being so creative they are actually solving the problem without thinking about it in the engineer or technology verse so it's really amazing to see how they do the art part and then when you engage them back and you bring them back and you start talking about well these are solar panels this is what it does and you start talking about the cycles and all the way that all of these things function brings it back to the engineering, the technology, and all these fun things, and they forget that they're actually learning. And that's one of the things that we try to do in our space, right? We forget about like saying, oh, we're going to learn how this machine works. No, we're giving you guys a problem and you're gonna solve them. And you're gonna figure out what machines you need or what technology or um, engineering that you can use to create these things. And that's what we've been trying to do with our educational programs, right? We're giving them that freedom for them to explore and then bring it back and actually have a real life um, solution that they can use. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, that's the difference between the education programs for adults versus kids. You know, when, when you teach the same topic, I mean, we, we obviously scale down the, the concept so that, you know, it's appropriate for the age, but we're, we're giving the same problems, the same challenges to all ages. And so when you see a university student approach the same challenge that, you know, an elementary school kid is uh, approaching, very quickly, the university students are already thinking about the limitations. You know, they're already thinking about, well, this is not going to be feasible and this and that and the other. So that, you know, it's, it's obviously great to, you know, take into account limitations when you're designing something, but that freedom of thinking about the problem in a completely new way and not really worrying about the boundaries first right off the bat is uh is pretty exciting because then you're starting to thinking about the problem um in, in a way where where you're, you're looking for solutions outside of the realm of you know what is known and so that's what really causes i think the sparks of innovation right because if you're thinking about what's possible right now then you're not thinking about what can be possible and so that's why i think you know we approach these challenges in that way where we're saying forget all reason the ideation process is put up the craziest ideas in the beginning and then we'll whittle it down from there. But, um, you know, you'd be surprised uh, of the things that come out of that process. We see it much more easily and much more naturally from the kids, but it's definitely possible at a, you know, any age. 
Uh, this is so powerful. And Tony and I have talked about this, you're kind of the beginner's mindset and how powerful that is. Because like you say, you don't have all the reasons you can't do something. So you're just going to try things and what if it. That's excellent. Starting at a younger age too, I imagine you have a, a wider diversity and in terms of exploring that. Are you kind of intentional around trying to bring in more diverse groups, people of color, girls, because that's obviously been a problem in tech and engineering for years. It still is. Yeah. Well, the beauty about this kind of program is that, you know, when you give somebody the tools and the methods of expressing themselves creatively and empowering them with really the skill to transform their ideas into real life, that's a confidence booster for anyone. And so what we're finding is everyone who's walked through the space, regardless of their background, I mean, they, they grow. They, uh, you know, they become uh, a new person. Yeah, they're, they're basically growing into themselves. And so what better equalizer than giving them, arming them with these tools to make their mark on the world? And uh, yeah, so, you know, we have, we have all sorts of programs where we've worked with, you know, the Girl Scouts. And, you know, we've reached out to, um, you know, local communities here that are minority groups or underprivileged students that are usually not able to afford these kinds of programs. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very intentional about bringing all groups in. But um, at the end of the day, when they're all in here, I mean, all that kind of fades away because you're unifying them all under this common purpose of, you know, what would you build to improve the world around you? And, you know, that allows them to see the challenges that they're facing every day, depending on where they're coming from and make their mark using these, these skills, which is, uh, I mean, for us, that's what keeps us going every, every day. That's, if it wasn't for that, you know, obviously you'd get bogged down from the day to day of all the, all the work and effort that goes into running a space like this. But when you see a kid walk away feeling like they can conquer the world, I mean, that's what, you know, what, what, what else do you want out of life other than that? You know, seeing, seeing that you've made an impact on someone. Yeah, that is wonderful. Thank you. So you both, come from architectural backgrounds. I was kind of think it was very artistic, one of the more artistic of the technical fields, actually. What, what drew you into this type of work? You know, some people get drawn in, I think, more from the inspirational kind of, like you say, why the, the maybe the artist, and some really just like solving problems, the kind of engineering. Do, did you kind of know as you were kind of moving towards this? Um, So our journey started um, when we were actually studying and we were doing our own prototyping and trying to figure out um, to create our own product line. And we didn't have an actual place where to build these things at because after you graduate from school, there's no place that you can go to if you don't pay a lot of money for these things. So we started the conversation and we started thinking about having a community space where everyone can come and actually have an idea and build these items or different things that we're trying to problem solve. And that's how we started. We started with having that same problem with us and trying to come up with a solution. And now we've opened our doors to the community, allowing other people that have ideas to come in and create them. Well, what I will say also is like, especially in the Fab Lab network, you see this a lot. A lot of, a lot of the really active Fab Labs around the world have architect founders. And the reason why that is, is it actually is the perfect blend of arts and engineering already as in itself. You know, one class that you'll take is literally, you know, structures and systems and it's pure engineering, right? 
And then you're also learning drawing and, you know, 3D modeling, right? And so all these tools, both technical and artistic, are honed in to communicate a vision, a concept, an idea, right? And so, you know, there's a little bit of graphic design. We learn Photoshop. We learn, we learn Illustrator. We learn vector, you know, drawing, 3D modeling, engineering, right? So it's a little bit of everything. And so most architects, when they graduate, really feel like they can tackle more than just one kind of problem, right? It's not only about buildings and structures, right? It's, you know, that's why you see some of the most famous uh, interior designs, the most famous uh, furnishings, you know, that are also designed by architects. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll just be as excited about building a chair as they would be a building. That kind of, um, that kind of enthusiasm about designing everything in your life, you know, becomes kind of limited when you go into one specific field. One thing for us was how do we have the freedom to design anything without getting bogged down by just, you know, cranking out structures for clients. Right. And then the other really important aspect for us was how do we actually move towards making a positive change in our own community, really getting involved with the people in our neighborhoods, in our, in our communities, in our cities and working with them, not just designing things for them, but designing things with them. In our studies, we got a chance to do some study abroad, you know, in Europe and uh, up north and New York. And we, we started finding that maker spaces were a thing, you know, it was really in its early, uh, you know, years. And it was, still wasn't completely figured out. But we saw a lot of these ideas of community spaces where people would hack together, you know, projects or 3D print things. And so we got really excited by that. That was, that was like utopia, right? This was a playground of technology and tools where you can make anything you want. So that's what got us excited. That's what got us, you know, to come back to Miami and say, let's do it ourselves. I mean, completely naively, right? You don't really understand the implications of what it takes to, you know, run this logistically and financially, right? But we, we were just so excited, fresh out of school that, you know, this was the future, right? Uh, a place where anyone in the community can come and build something for the city. And so, um, you know, we just jumped in head first and uh, learned a lot of things along the way, but we made it work. We haven't abandoned architecture. We do work with the city. We've done pop-up parks. Uh, we've done parklets. We've done, you know, all sorts of installations. So that's still there. And, you know, we still have the option to work on those kinds of projects, but we're not limited specifically in, in doing those kinds of projects. We're, we're just as excited by walking in and having somebody ask us a question of things that are even beyond our own realm of understanding and still leading them through that that path of making it happen, right? Connecting them with the right person who has the skills that they need to learn. And, you know, we've learned a lot, uh, not just, you know, managerially and organizationally, right? But skills outside of our own subject matters that, you know, now it actually empowers us to incorporate those things into our architectural work. You know, one of the projects that we were really excited about uh, for the Super Bowl, you know, the city wanted to do some greening elements in downtown to make it more green, right? And so we proposed to them these mobile seating elements that had like a trellis that vines could grow on that would then extend into the, uh, you know, to a roof structure so that it would actually provide shade for people who are walking downtown. And so we would have approached that project completely differently if we were to just come straight out of architecture school. But, you know, because of the relationships that we've built here and the technologies we've been exposed to, you know, we made that thing you know, solar powered, you know, it had sensors in there that were monitoring this, you know, the soil so that, you know, if it was not humid enough, then it would water the plants automatically, you know, so it's just that kind of thing that really enriches 
the kinds of things that you do just because you, now you know you can do them. It's now an option. It's now part of your repertoire, your, your tool that you can bring to the table. So those are the kinds of things that we, we get excited about is that. Maker Fair Miami, I guess, is uh, happening next week virtually. Uh, yeah. So many things are these days. And your whole community has space in the name as in getting together. That obviously must have or is still to some degree challenging. And, and how have you found the current situation? Well, beyond, beyond Maker Fair, like all of the members basically halted their own projects and jumped on board with this uh, face shield project that we were working on. So, you know, going back to the idea of, of networks, we were quick to jump on board with the Open Source Medical Supplies Group, partnered up with Central Florida, and we created the Central and South Florida uh, Working Group for OSMS. As a, as a whole, as a group, there was a donation from Coca-Cola of tons of rolls of PETG plastic sheet, which was really tough to come by they were distributed to all the different makerspaces that were part of this uh, network. And we were laser cutting the face shield portion and 3D printing the headband to make these, uh, make these face shields and donate them to the uh, frontline medical workers. Central and South Florida actually had enough plastic to make over 30,000 face shields. And within our own region, you know, connecting with school makerspaces and makers in our own community, we were able to make over 8,500 uh, 8, 8, uh, face shields, which was really exciting. I mean, just to, you know, it was a lot of work, but when you, when you took it to the, you know, hospital and saw how desperate they were for those resources, you were like, again, once again, this is, this is worth it. This is the reason why we do what we do. You know? And the fact that, you know, a bunch of kids in schools and, you know, community members who have no, you know, background in medical, you know, fabrication at all, we're able to come together and turn around 8,500 face shields in a couple of weeks. It was just insane. I mean, that's, that's really a, a perfect example of how open source, you know, access to technology can transform the world. So, yeah, I mean, really all the projects were put on hold for, for that huge effort. We're still actually fabricating face shields now and, and, and running those through throughout these weeks. And, you know, I think Maker Faire is really exciting because it's now getting back to the exciting things that everyone was working on prior to COVID. So it's a, it's a chance to go back to normal in, in a way where and saying, you know, these were the projects that I was working on before all this happened and really share, you know, what they were, what they were doing. And uh, the really cool thing about going virtual is, you know, we had a lot of people say that they couldn't come to Maker Fair Miami because of travel. Right. And so now we have people registering from, India, from Canada, from the Netherlands, from Mexico, and from all over, and they're logging in. And so this is going to be a really interesting case study to see how that transforms, you know, the participation in the event. So uh, we'll, we'll let you know more on that after next week. Great. Great. More learning, which is excellent. And yeah. how many years, is it six years? Seven. Seven years. Seventh, seventh year of making. And, and uh, so something you said earlier, which is that you jumped into this having uh, uh, no idea what you were getting into in many ways. And like, what were the top lessons that you've kind of learned? So if I was going to be like, oh, well, listen, Jersey City is another makerspace. I'm going to go start one. What would you pass on? A lot of the things that we learned were kind of the, the financial and business aspect of it, right? We're, that was not our background. Our background mm -hmm. was design and engineering and arts. And when you have a heart for making things happen, you know, you fall into you know, ignoring the business side and saying, oh, you know, they really want to make this thing and they can't afford it. So, 
you know, let's, let's just do it anyway. And, and you, you know, you, you kind of eat into the fact that, you know, it takes money to make this thing work. So you have to have very strict things in place to make it financially sound so that you can continue going on. So, you know, one of the lessons that we learned really quickly was if we're not able to stay open, then we're not going to be serving anyone. So we still have to figure out a way where we're having people pay for specific services that allow us to keep the thing going. We're still able to redirect funds now for people who can't afford things. There's, there's now grants that we've been writing for that and, and other ways and other means of making these things happen versus just, you know, continuing to volunteer, volunteer, volunteer materials and time and efforts. And the other thing was that, you know, because we have this uh, let's conquer anything mentality, you know, we wanted to solve everybody's problems at all times. And that's just not feasible for any human being to do, right? So I think understanding that you have a wealth of resources in your community and being able to point someone to the expert in that specific field is, was a huge lesson for us. I mean, rather than trying to take everything on ourselves, being able to be a connector to others, not only solved their problem probably better than we would have uh, helped them, but also fostered more of a community, more uh, engagement as a, as a network versus just a singular space. So there's times even within our network, we'll, we'll point people, but we'll also point them to other maker spaces or other uh, manufacturers. And so that helps us embed again with the experts in our entire community, not just within our own maker space. So those were the two hardest lessons to really grow into. But uh, obviously there's like a million and one things enough to probably write a book one day, which we might do, but yeah, tons of lessons. But those are the two main things I would say for anyone trying to start a makerspace, just really think about the community that you're building versus your own uh, abilities. I think that's very valuable from our discussions with people. A lot of creatives, maybe everyone has the same problem of trying to balance spending time on their creative endeavors and being able to sustain it, finding income. You're right. That's very you can't focus on only one. Those were the hard lessons. I said, when you said that, the hard lessons, I saw Daisy, uh, she, she, she cringed. Oh, I feel almost like I remember <laughs> the, the pain. So uh, what about um, your favorite highlight, favorite thing that surprised you? Someone built that you were like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen or the weirdest thing I've ever seen or why would they even think of building that? or <laughs> so I have different experience I have had since we opened one of my one of my first class he came in and he's like I don't know how to use any of this equipment and he took the laser cut class he learned illustrator our classes are two hours long he learned how to use illustrator after he learned how to use illustrator we went to a laser cutter and learned how to use laser cutter he did his first piece and he was super super excited after he did that first piece he kept um, learning more about the laser cutter and now he has his own business um, doing laser cutting pieces which is great and amazing to be the start the fire um, to create something like that and my other stuff too is all my kids around me I get really inspired seeing what they can do and the possibilities and giving them the chance of growing for themselves and having a place to come in and being themselves which is something that we get from our parents is that they found like a place that they can be themselves because sometimes we were called names and things like that at school and we're, we're weird. And we're like, no, this is not, this is not a place to be called a name. This is a place to be 
yourself and explore. So I worked with a child at age nine and he came to our camp. He did this whole entire piece. Actually, there, there was multiple kids and he got chosen to build his piece real life um, scale, um, scale. And it was so cool to see what he could build, right? Like, I'm like, oh, he's not going to help us. We're going to have to be stuck doing this work. And no, he actually was pushing me to my limits of like, okay, we got to run the machine now. Let's go. <laughs> What's the next thing I have to do? And I'm like, okay, I need a break now. To see but, a nine-year-old pull off a piece from the CNC and like take it outside and start sanding it by themselves. It's like, It was wow. amazing. And these wow. are the things that I want, I want to continue to do, right, in our space is to do that and fire those little things that allow the kids to create and problem solve. Because, of course, this world has a lot of different issues that we're going to be seeing. So I think and I believe that what we're doing in this space gives them that freedom of, like, if I have a problem, there are different ways of coming up with a solution. And I think that's what we're trying to do in this space. Mm -hmm. Those are are great, great examples of present kind of legacy and, and, you know, all business sparking out from uh, this space. And then this future kind of uh, potential growing, you know, you, 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 you want to be investing in that kid someday. So. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we've hosted, we've hosted makeathons here where one of, one of our corporate members saw their potential and hired them basically on the spot. So, you know, it's very tough, I think, for us to, you know, tell the story of the economic development, right? You know, that, that's a very, you know technical and um, disassociated term from from really what spaces like these do you know there's there's ways of calculating the economic development of a you know incubator or a a co-working space but I think it goes beyond that I mean a a maker space or a fab lab I mean it's the economic development there is more than just economic development it's social development it's you know community development it's you know there's there's so many intersections that you know, when you're trying to apply for a grant, it's hard to really encapsulate all the kinds of things that go on in this space, you know, because they're looking for a very clean story, like A plus B equals C. And so you can't have this stream of consciousness that we just had with you, right? Talking about kids programs and then, you know, a multi-billion dollar company working on a prototype in the space, you know, like they get confused by that. They don't really understand how, how that even functions, right? You can anecdotally say we've had a number of people come in with no technical experience, learn the skills they needed to do and actually spin off businesses, go on to get their own spaces, their own equipment. But how, how to really explain that in economic, economic development terms is very, very, yes. very difficult. Or track it. So I think that's, yeah, that for the next step for us is, you know, we've done a great job of telling a story visually, you know, we, we capture as much as we can video, you know, photos, um, you know, writing about it and, and featuring our members and really trying to celebrate the things that they're doing. But I think the next step for us to grow is really to take this to the level where we're working in partnership with cities, you know, to, to support this. It's, uh, it's, it really does have far reaching ripple effects that are very difficult for us to explain. But I know that there's people out there who are dedicated to that. Put that very well, because it's also, it's very similar to with art. Talk with some of our other guests about the value of their art. You know, they've had to keep another career going in a technical space to do their passion, their art. Because in our society, it's a very bottom line. I want a very quantitative, what does this do? What's the bottom line return for amazing art or ideas that are put out into the world? But you know that they are inspiring things and and moving our society forward. Um, Especially in a big city like Miami, the resources are there. They really are there. 
it's just a matter of making the right connections with the people who move the needle and telling the story effectively and capturing the data of what goes on in the space. I mean, so many makerspaces are turning out amazing things, but they're just not capturing that information. You know, that's something that we've been really focusing on the last couple of years. And hopefully that, that you know, brings us to the level where we can broaden our impact even more. Tony, you have any final questions, thoughts? It's really exciting. And uh, I think it's really another smart lesson learned talking about how you might quantify or measure your impact. Where do you see your, your Moonlighter, your makerspace in the next five years? Like, what are you, what do you think you're, you're going to be able to achieve? What are, you, what are you trying for? I think what we're really excited about is the ways in which we can partner with outside organizations, outside institutions to broaden our reach, broaden our, our impact. So uh, two developments recently have kind of started that path. We partnered with Fairchild Tropical Botanic Garden. They had a program that's funded by NASA to uh, grow plants in space. They've already started the data collection portion of that with uh, identifying the right plant varieties. And now the next step is actually designing plant growth chambers for the ISS, right? So we came on board to help them build a makerspace in the Botanic Garden and then also run educational programs and national maker challenges, all centered around growing plants in space. Once again, that's something that's outside our realm of understanding. And so bringing maker culture to solve this thing and working with botanists in their institution has been really, really exciting. And uh, we've learned a ton through that. So, you know, who knows where that goes? I mean, NASA already implemented the specific seeds that they've identified, and they're growing their seeds in space. So that partnership is really exciting. We're really, really, really uh, excited about working with them more closely and, and, and growing that whole aspect. Um, we also just recently were selected as a maker ed hub. Education is huge. I mean, that, that's a huge, huge challenge. And so we can crank out programs here every single day, but we're never going to reach every single child in South Florida. So we, we need to grow beyond ourselves, right? And so maker ed, we're really excited about that program too, because it allows us to partner with a national organization that has uh, been doing these maker programs for quite a while and has uh, done some research, extensive research on it. And we can transfer that knowledge to uh, different sites that we're working with. In fact, just recently we identified the eight sites we're working on with our first cohort. So we have um, museums, we have organizations, we have schools um, of all kinds, uh, private schools, public schools, elementary schools, high schools, right? So we're going to be taking that same model of kind of open sourcing the problems, right? Sharing the problems and solving them as a group. That will go on to empower a whole new generation of teachers to embed making in the curriculum. And not just in science and arts and technology, but you know, there's, there's ways of embedding hands-on programs in, in, in any subject, really. Uh, the vocabulary of, of these different technical things. And um, we're really excited about that as well. So really working with, with teachers and schools specifically to embed maker education in their programs. And, and I, once again, that the, the amplification and kind of ripple effect as well, uh, as Daisy said, there's plenty of problems to work on. Uh, so educating more and more people around this and, and creating more makers is absolutely an inspiring goal. 
Well, I want to thank you both for a great conversation. You guys have so much going on, which is just amazing. I don't know how you do it all, actually. I don't uh, know either. Planner. Planner. This is the one that... He okay. has all the ideas. <laughs> all right. Well, good, good. That's, uh, you, you need the complementary skill set. That's uh, a little of uh, what we're looking at in this, uh, this show as well, that kind of uh, creative and structured thinking combined. So thank you once again, and uh, we look forward to, to what's coming next from you folks. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com if you have show ideas or want to follow up with feedback or just want to say hi. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to connect. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes at www.theartistengineer.com. And finally, if you enjoyed the show, please leave an iTunes review as it helps the show get discovered by more people. And also hit the subscribe button.